if you could stand to your feet with me as we go to God's most sacred word, his holy word. His word that, that transforms us. If you can go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, chapter 4, I'm sorry, verse 6 through 16. And then once you get that, I, I'm going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. First Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, uh, but our, our key focus is going to be on First Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 16. When you get there, say, got it. Amen. All right. And the word of God reads as following, starting at verse 16. It says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ. Jesus being trained in the words of the faith. And of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of, every, is of value in every way. As it holds promises for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of the people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity until I come. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in these, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let us pray. Precious Father, I pray, Father God, at this time that you will be so gracious to touch our hearts, to allow your word, Father God, to be sharper than any double-edged sword. I pray, Father God, that your word will go forth and that it will minister to your people, Father. I pray that it will not fall on stony ground, Father, but that it will fall on, on fertile ground, on the hearts in which you have predetermined that it to fall on, Father. I pray, Lord, that we will not listen to the word of God seeking to be entertained, that we will not listen to the word of God seeking to, to be 
tickled that we were not listening to the word of God, seeking, Father God, to walk away and say, oh, what a mighty sermon. But, Father God, that we would listen to the word of God with one intention, and that be to look more like your son Christ. In order that we would listen with ears to, to hear, Father God, and ears that will, will want to, to become doers of your word, Father God. I pray that you will sanctify us, that you will purge us, that you will renew in us, Father God, a heart that, that longs for you, the the evermore, Father. I believe in the Holy Spirit, Father God, and I stand confessing that there is nothing that I can say or do, Father God, that could save anyone in this room. So, Father God, I'm, I'm depending upon your Holy Spirit to do just that, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. In 2006, Will Smith started, star, starred in a autobiographical uh, uh, film about a man by the name of Christopher Garner. Uh, the name of the film is The Pursuit of Happiness. And in the film, uh, Will Smith plays a, a person or the character of this man by the name of Chris, Christopher Garner who is a struggling salesperson who is seeking to become a, a stockbroker. And throughout the movie, we see the struggle of this man seeking and, and, and running after happiness. And we see that he is just pursuing happiness with vigor. He has a dream, and, and he wants to become a stockbroker. And, and we just see this film as a powerful film. Many people who, who saw the film, uh, they walk away just at all uh, because they, they see this man becoming happy. Uh, if you remember, the last scene uh, of the film is a powerful scene in which he finds out that he's, he has a job and he's going to become a, a stockbroker and that he has an opportunity to move from, 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 from poverty to wealth. And you see him jumping up and leaping up for joy. And he, he's happy because his dreams are being fulfilled. And uh, if you saw the movie, uh, you, you, it's, it's hard to walk away from the movie without just being touched, without having tears in your eyes and, and feeling happy yourself. And the reason why is because every single human born, being is born seeking happiness. Every person on the face of this earth wants to be happy. It's something that we seek. It's something that we long for. In fact, the, the first time we cry, we are crying because we are displeased as a child. We want something in our stomach. We want to be held. We want to, we want to be comforted. We want happiness. Happiness is what every human heart is searching for. Every human heart wants delight. Every human heart wants satisfaction. In fact, one of the most known and well-crafted sentences in English rhetoric is found in the American Constitution, and, and it states that, that every human being deserves life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The forefathers of this country saw happiness as a necessity. It's the same as being free. It's the same as having life. Happiness is a must. Happiness is a must. And that's why as at the end of each year and the beginning of each new year, that is exactly why we sit down and we look back over the old year and we look at the new year and we say I'm going to make a new year's resolution 
That's why we have New Year's resolution. That's why we stop and we, we have moments of introspection where we sit down and we, make, we begin to make a list. And we say, you know, in, in 2010, I'm going to eat healthier. And I'm going to exercise. And I'm going to wake up earlier in the morning. Or, or I'm going to uh, not procrastinate like I did last year. We sit down and we say, in 2010, it's going to be different. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to get better grades. I'm going to stay in contact with my loved ones or, or, or with my friends. I'm going to, to save more money. We come up with New Year's resolutions because we are, are seeking uh, in, in the upcoming year to be happier than we were in the previous year. That's why uh, fitness centers profit so much in the months of January and February. Because people have sat down and said, you know what, if I become more healthier, uh, I'll become more happier. Because we are pursuing happiness. And it's not a bad thing. I believe that it's a, it's a good thing. In fact, it's, it's an it's a honorable thing to seek happiness. It's not a sinful thing to seek to improve or to seek to grow or to seek to mature. In fact, I, I, I beg to, to, to say that, that it is something that is God-honoring. God wants us to seek happiness. God is our father, and no father naturally wants his children to be upset, to be dissatisfied, to be angry, to feel unfulfilled. Happiness is, pursuing happiness is not sinful. In fact, I would say that pursuing happiness is exactly what God wants me and you to do. In Psalms chapter 37, verse 4, we read these words. The psalmist, David, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. That's not something that, that's just optional. That's a command. That's a direct imperative. He's saying, delight yourself in the Lord. He's telling us to delight ourselves in the Lord. Right? He's saying, in other words, he's saying, seek happiness in the Lord and God will give you the desires of your heart. Scripture tells us to pursue happiness. It tells us to go after happiness, but, but Scripture tells us how to do it. It tells us that we must pursue happiness or delight in God. Happiness by itself is not enough. Many people live their lives seeking happiness and they have their lives ruined by its pursuit because they are seeking happiness in and of itself, by itself. They are pursuing happiness by itself, but they don't realize that their soul is too big for the pleasures of the world to feel by itself. The pleasures of this world cannot make us happy for our soul is too big to be filled by the pleasures of the world. People seek happiness in different places and, and for different reasons and in different things and if they are seeking happiness apart from God, they will be miserable. And ultimately end in destruction. I will write this down. Happiness minus godliness equals destruction. 
Finding happiness without godliness is destruction. It's destruction. We must get to a point where we seek God and God alone. Where our greatest pleasure and our greatest pursuit is God. And and what my appeal is to you today is that above every desire, above every resolution, above every area of personal improvement in 2010, I I pray that, that globally for the body of Christ that what we will pursue more than any and everything next year is godliness. More than anything next year is godliness. So if you started making a list, a a New Year's resolution, I want you to to cross out the list. and, And the first thing I want you to put on your new list is godliness. Not weight loss. Not getting straight A's in school. Not even being a, a better husband or a better wife, but, but I want you to put to pursue God and godliness because in pursuing God and godliness, you will be a better husband, you will be a better wife. If you do it holistically, you will be healthier. What we need is God, not God and something else. We don't need God and a better job. We don't need God and a better husband, a better wife. We don't need God and we need God. God. That's what the gospel is. Those who accept the gospel, we don't accept Jesus and something. We accept Jesus. Jesus. Godliness must be our pursuit. It must be what what really captivates us in 2010 we must pursue godliness what does it mean to pursue to pursue means to chase it means to go after it 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 means to follow after It, it it means to constantly and consistently to 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 chase something seek to obtain something I was going to say Kyra is pursuing a master's in business administration. I'm saying that she's chasing after it, that she's going after it. I was going to say Maceo Jr. is pursuing a a bachelor's of arts in animation. He's going after a, a degree in animation. He's pursuing, he's chasing it, he's constantly and consistently going after it. That's what it means to pursue. So when I say this year, pursue godliness, I mean chase after godliness. Now the next question we must ask ourselves is what is godliness? You know, it's a word that we hear people say so often, oh, they're so godly. But what does it mean to be godly? What does that mean? Does that mean to suddenly disappear and be omnipotent? Does it mean... To be all-powerful, what does it mean to be godly? Well, in this text, we see that, that Paul uses the word godly one time, but he uses godliness nine times. And, and when he speaks of godliness, what he is saying is to pursue the attitude and the conduct of God. That our call and our mission as Christians is to pursue the attitude and the conduct of God. The attitude and the conduct of God. What is the motive 
of godliness. Why should we pursue godliness? What is the motive? Why, why pursue it? Well, Paul lets us know in his text, starting at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. What is the mystery of godliness? He goes to show us the mystery of godliness. He says, He was manifested in the flesh. Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Paul lets us know, as as he's going to begin to talk to Timothy about about godliness, he lets us know what what is the picture of godliness. And the picture of godliness is Christ. It's Christ. He says, he was manifested in the flesh. In the Old Testament... Godliness was more of an abstract term because all that Israel had, all the the children of God had, was the law of God. And as beautiful as the law of God was, nobody could really keep it. And even when they tried to keep it, they really didn't have a, a, a tangible picture of what it meant to be godly or what it really looked like to be holy. Well, Paul is saying that this mystery, the mystery of godliness, has now been seen. What it means to be godly has now been painted for us. And it's Christ. Christ is godliness because Christ is God and we pursue godliness because we want to look like Christ. But why do we want to look like Christ? Because if at the final day, at the final judgment, if we do not look like Christ, we will not see God. We will not spend eternity with God. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He said blessed, or in Greek, makariar. Makariar means happy. Happy are those who have pure hearts, for they shall see God. Without godliness, without a happiness that is rooted and and grounded in its pursuit of, of God, we won't see God. So Hebrews chapter 12 says, without holiness or separation, no man shall see God. The reason why we should want to become godly, the reason why we are pursuing godliness above everything in 2010 is because without godliness, God is not satisfied. And if God is not satisfied, ultimately, the satisfactions that we have in, on this side of heaven will be destructive will be destructive. As we look at this text, we see Paul urging Timothy to live a godly life. Timothy is Paul's understudy. He's his his student, his disciple. And Timothy left, uh, I'm sorry, Paul left Timothy in charge of the church at Ephesus. And and this church at Ephesus, they had some issues. They had some, some people who were being led astray by false teachings and by a false gospel. And, and Paul is writing Timothy, and he's telling Timothy, I, I, I need you to constantly and consistently to pursue godliness. He says, I need you to constantly pursue godliness. And not only do I need you to pursue godliness, but I need you to teach godliness. 
Because Timothy's job was to sanctify the church. That's what a preacher's job is. That's what a pastor's job is. That's what a, a Sunday school teacher's job is. That's what a, a Bible study teacher's job is. The, the, the purpose of Bible study, the purpose of, of preaching, the purpose of a pastor is to, to make or to deliver the word in such a way where, where God's people, as a result, will be made to look more like God. It's not to entertain. It's not to get amens. It's not to get hallelujahs. It's not to have people shout. It's to have people grow and to look more like God. So Paul leaves Timothy in a place called Ephesus, a city named Ephesus, with, which is in Asia. And he tells him, listen, I need you to, to consistently pursue godliness. Listen to these words. Listen to these words. Verse 7, he says these words have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. It says, exercise yourself unto godliness. Go up to verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ. Paul is saying, if you teach these things, the things that I've already told you to teach and the things that I'm getting ready to tell you to teach, then you will be a good servant of Christ. In other words, if you pursue godliness, you will be a good servant of Christ. But if you don't, danger is waiting. What danger is waiting for those who do not pursue godliness? What, what is the danger? Let's read verse 4 through 5. And chapter 4 says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God. Paul is telling Timothy that in the last days people will be deceived. But people will be deceived because they are not actively pursuing godliness or the conduct or attitude of God. The church at Ephesus were being deceived by false preachers, by false teachers. They were being deceived. They were being led astray. And people who are led astray from God and from the pure gospel are led astray because they are passive rather than active. They are passive rather than active. That's what I mean. Paul is telling Timothy to continue to preach, to continue to, to pastor, to continue to, to use God's words uh, for the sanctification of God's people. 
But yet there were people in the midst who were being deceived. There were people in the midst who were being led astray. They were following doctrines, as Paul says, doctrines of demons. People who are led astray from the gospel are led astray because they themselves are not actively pursuing God, but rather they are depending upon other people to tell them about God. There was people in the church of Ephesus who was listening to people teach. But they were listening to, to bad preaching and bad teaching and they eventually was led away from the faith. The Bible says that they departed from the faith. Now check this out. They were devoted, but yet they departed. It is possible to be a devoted member of a church and yet still not be in the faith. There are a lot of devoted people who are devoted to church. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. He says that, there is, that people have an appearance of godliness but they deny its power. The church of Ephesus had many people who were being led astray by false teachers, people who had an appearance of godliness. That means that they looked godly, but yet they really weren't in the faith. That's a scary thought. That is a very scary thought to be in church, but not in the faith. That is a scary thought, to come to church, but to not be in Christ. And at the church of Ephesus, there was a, a form of godliness. But people were denying his power. What do you mean denying his power? It means that they were doing things religiously without ever experiencing the power of God. They were doing things religiously without ever experiencing the liberty that Christ gives us. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. There were people who were going through the motions of Christianity but who had no power whatsoever. Who really were not experiencing the power of prayer, the power of fasting, the power of deliverance because they were outwardly Pleasing, but inwardly dead. And, and my fear is, is that there, there are many, even in the body of Christ, who are really not a part of, the, of Christ because they are not pursuing godliness. They are not chasing after God. They are not persisting after God. They are not running after God, but they are rather passively passively in God. Passively in God. That's what was going on here. Look what, look what happened to, to passive Christians. Let's see what happens to passive Christians. It says, now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times that some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves. So they were devoted to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now you hear this word, they were devoted to, to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, and you think that, man, they were really under some say, satanic teaching. You think that, man, that people were just standing up and they had devil's horns on and they were trying to get them to drink blood and they were just crazy. They were devoted to people who were just wild and ignorant. But, but that's not what was going on. Let's see the fruits of false teachers. Continue to read. 
through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from fools that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believed and know the truth. These teachers, they weren't satanic in appearance, but they were teaching something that wasn't the gospel. They were telling people that they shouldn't get married. And they were telling people that they shouldn't eat certain foods. These false teachers actually looked pious. They were telling people that if you want to be more godly, if you want to be more spiritual, you should not get married. They were telling people that if you want to be godly, if you want to be spiritual, you, you shouldn't eat certain foods. Like, like, like they were putting them under the law. They, they were not teaching a pure gospel. And they were led astray. And they were led astray because they didn't know the pure gospel. Because they weren't actively pursuing the pure gospel for themselves. But rather, they were depending upon other people to tell them the gospel. They were passive Christians. They were coming together religiously, but they wasn't pursuing God themselves. They wasn't chasing God. They weren't running after God. And what happens is, is after a while, the Bible says that, that they actually depart from the faith. Now, they, they've departed from the faith, but yet they're still in the midst of the congregation. They mean they departed from the faith. They departed from the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had no idea what the gospel of Jesus Christ was. The gospel to them was, it was perverted. It was something that really did not exist. And people who are following Christ for the wrong reason and who have not received the pure gospel of Jesus Christ are not in Christ. Now notice this. They had departed from the faith, but yet they were keeping up with teachings. They were devoted to these teachings that these false teachers was preaching. And in the church of Christ, we have to be careful and make sure that we are devoted to the pure gospel. We have to be careful and make sure that to be a Christian means to no longer live for ourselves, to no longer live for our own advantage, but for the advantage of God. We have to make sure that we are not saying that to be a Christian means to not do this, to not do this, to not do this, to not do this, to not wear pants, to not wear makeup, right? We got people that say that to be a Christian means to not do this. They make Christianity just seem boring and bland. A Christian doesn't dance. A Christian doesn't smile. A Christian doesn't stay out after 9 o'clock. A Christian doesn't watch Larry King live. A Christian doesn't do this and doesn't do this. And they, they, they make this appearance of, 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 of godliness, this appearance of, of piety by making all of these rules. And we walk around and we say, yeah, I know God because I don't do that. But that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is not about a, a list of things that we do not do, but really it's about a list of, of one thing that we truly do through. Jesus said that to be, to be a Christian means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. It means to accept Christ and Christ alone. It means to put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ and to see him as more than enough. It means to cherish Christ above everything and know that he is the only one who can bring true satisfaction to you. It's not a list of to-dos and, and not-to-dos. Right? That's what the Pharisees was called on. Which, which, which of these commandments is the greatest commandment? 
He said it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. Godliness is actively pursuing God. And if we are not actively pursuing God, then we will fall into Godlessness. We will find ourselves religiously doing things but not having any power because we truly don't have faith in Christ. You know, some people go to that extreme where it's don't do this. And then there's other people who are Christian who, who follow false teachings or who have the wrong ideology about what it means to be saved. And they think that, that they're on the other end of the spectrum. They, may, they think that to be a Christian means that you can do anything you want as long as you treat people as the way you want to be treated. Right? I'm a Christian. But yet, they know nothing about Christ. Yet, they don't truly know Christ's teachings. I'm a Christian because I, I do the best that I can to treat other people the way I want to be treated. Buddhists do that. Every religion, just about, teaches the golden rule. That's not what being a Christian means. Being a Christian means to pursue God. Paul is saying, listen, Timothy, pursue God. Go after God. Chase after God. Because in doing so, you will be a good servant of Christ. Verses 6 to 8 shows the blessing that we receive when we pursue God. And it says... If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Why? As it holds. Listen to this promises for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness goes past this lifetime. The benefits of it is not just in this lifetime. The benefits of godliness is, is eternal. Paul tells Timothy to pursue godliness, to exercise yourself, to train yourself in godliness, to train yourself to have the mind and actions of God because it is an eternal benefit. He says bodily exercise, it only benefits you for a short while, only benefits you a little, but, but chasing after God, it benefits you for all eternity. All eternity, eternity. Let's talk about that word, eternity. Let's talk about that word. Eternity, without end. Many people can't see past their lifetime. They can't see past their lifetime. People who do not accept the gospel and who are not chasing after God, it is because they cannot see past their lifetime. They cannot see past their lifetime. You understand that? There is something past their lifetime, but they cannot see past it. 
So they live for a hundred years on this earth pursuing things to make them happy that will only benefit for a short while. And not pursuing the rest of eternity. Eternity is without end. When I drop dead, when I die, life is really beginning. Because now, for the rest of all eternity, I will exist. Uh, A soul, we, we never cease to exist. We exist. We exist. And how I live my life. For 75, 100 years, 110 years will determine where I spend the next trillion years. Think about that. The next trillion years will be determined by whether or not I submit it to the authority and beauty of Christ. Bodily exercise, it only benefits a little for a short while. But, but pursuing godliness, exercising yourself into godliness, doing everything you can to have the mind and heart of Christ, it, it goes far beyond what we ever could imagine. So how do we pursue it? What do we need to do to pursue godliness? Well, Paul gives, lays it out for Timothy. He tells us four things, four ways to pursue godliness. Verse 13, he says, until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Paul says, until I come, devote yourself to these things. And the first thing that Paul tells him to devote himself to is to the word of God. To the word of God. He says to the public reading of scripture. There's value in coming together as a group of believers and listening, just listening to scripture being read. There's an extreme value. He says, so, Timothy, if you want to exercise yourself to godliness, if you want to grow to look more like Christ, you need to hear the word of God read. It is impossible to look to become godly without valuing God's word. It is impossible to to look more like God and and you don't have absolutely any clue on how God looks. The word of God is the revelation of God. It is our picture of God. And the only way that we will have the proper picture of God is if we know what the scripture says. What the scripture says. I remember when I first moved to Louisville, uh, the Lord brought a a gentleman in my my life uh, in order that I may share the gospel with him. And his name, uh, well, I shouldn't say his name, but his religion, he was a, a Muslim, amen. And uh, we were working together. We, we worked every day together, selling suits at the men's warehouse. And I, I, I'll never forget when I started talking to him about his faith and what he believed. He told me that he was formerly a Christian. He said, I was formerly a Christian. And I said, well, what happened that made you not want to become a Christian? He said, well, um, it just wasn't deep enough to me. He said, I, I went to church on Sunday, and I, I went to, to, to Wednesday service with my, my grandmother. But, but that was it. And uh, we used to just listen to this man preach and listen to this man talk, and that was it. 
And uh, that, that's, just, that's what I thought of Christianity. He said, then someone came along from the nation of Islam, and they sat down with me, and he went through the whole Quran with me front to back, and he said, uh, and, and he said that most Christians are, uh, really have no idea of the God that they're serving, but here at the nation we believe in making sure that we educate you about who you serve and, and, and the God that you serve. And he said that I, I left Christianity because there was no standard to know his word. He said, as I, after I read the Quran, I went back and I read the Bible and I started listening to preachers preach. And I realized that most of the preachers who was preaching really didn't have an in-depth understanding of what they was preaching. And, and specifically, he told me about three stories of a, a sermon that he heard from a preacher that he was listening to because he was going to give Christianity another try. And uh, I was appalled at, at what this preacher was preaching. But as the body of Christ, many of us are just illiterate when it comes to the word of God. We have a shallow understanding of God because we don't want to pick up his word. The Bible, the word says, exercise yourself to godliness. That exercise means to, to work out, to work. It's work. Exercise is work. It's work. Anyone who exercises knows that it, it takes time. It's a regimen. You have to plan for it. You have to make it become a part of your day, a part of who you are. Exercise yourself into to godliness. He says to the public reading of scripture, to the exhortation and to doctrine. Exhortation is preaching to, to the word of God being proclaimed and, and explained. He says devote yourself to hearing the word of God preached. Devote yourself to hearing the word of God preached. Now, in today's society, we have attention deficit disorder. I preach for 45 minutes to an hour, and we act like we're going to die. But we sit on, this, on our couch, on the same behind, for three or four hours, and watch things that don't matter for the love of Ray J, keeping up with the Kardashians. We will listen to Tiger Woods be mauled for two hours without moving. And not complain, but when the word of God is preached, we got our watches on. And then we think that it's unbiblical for it to be preached. Let me help you. Let me help us. I want I to, to tap into the word of God. I want to tap into the lifestyle of the early Christians and help you to understand what it was like. First thing I want to point out. Is that as we read Nehemiah and read Ezra, the Bible says that the people of God stood and listened to the word of God preached for six hours. Six hours. Six hours. They stood on their feet. Secondly, we could go to Jesus and his ministry. The Bible says that he sat at the mountain and he preached and he proclaimed the word of God. And we have the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is a sermon from Jesus. Now, it is a summary of Jesus' sermon. If I just read Jesus' sermon, it's going to take me 25 to 30 minutes. If he was preaching that and that was a summary of his preaching, that means that his sermon was probably three to four hours at least. Thirdly, we read the book of Hebrews. And we see the book of Hebrews. It's 13 chapters. We say, man, that's a long book. I'm just going to read a chapter here, a chapter there, a chapter here. The book of Hebrews is a sermon that was written to be read in one sitting. 
It was being exhorted. It was being preached. To just read the book of Hebrews with a steady pace takes about 55 minutes for a good reader. If they were preaching, how long do you think they were there? See, to be a Christian, it means to cherish Christ above everything. To hear Christ. And to cherish Christ, it means that you have tasted Christ and and you want nothing more than more of him. Because he has done something in your heart. He's done something in your heart. The word of God is what you cherish above everything. Nothing in this world compares to his word. And Satan's main desire is to get you to to barely look at your word. It's to get you to be bored at his word. It's to get you to to read his word quickly. It's to get you to just see it as another book on a shelf or see it as something that only the pastor and ministers could preach. Satan loves lazy Christians. Satan loves people who don't read and who don't value his word. He loves people who get upset about about, about sermons or, or services being too long because the less you know, the more he authority he has in your life. The less you know, the more in trouble you are. The less you know about God, the more in danger you are. The less you know about God, number one, the more Satan can get you to be comfortable, to find comfort in things that don't matter. Jesus was led to the wilderness, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And Satan came to Jesus. And, and, and Satan, knowing that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he, he tempted Jesus with bread. He said, here, make these stones turn to bread. Satan was telling Jesus, basically, listen, find comfort in food. Find comfort in food. Jesus looked at Satan. He says, no, I will not find comfort in food. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The less you know God's word, the more you are finding comfort in other things. The more you find comfort in pornography, in food, the more you find comfort in money or in your career, the more you know God's word, the less you will seek comfort in other things. Satan tempted Jesus again. Tempted him again. Tempted him. He took him to a high pinnacle. He said, Jesus, jump off. Jump off this cliff because the Bible says that, that, he, will, that he has given change. Or, uh, the angels charge over you. Least you dash your foot on a stone. In other words, Satan said, jump off this cliff and watch the angels come and save you. The less you know God's word, the more Satan will tempt you to test God. You said, man, shall not live. Thou should not test the Lord your God for it is written. Jesus knew the word of God and he knew how to fight off Satan. Satan did it again. He said, listen, come and worship me. If you worship me, I'll give all these kingdoms to you. The less you know God's word, the more tempted you will be to worship things that are meaningless. Grab your Bibles and hold them in the air. I want you to repeat after me and say, This book reveals the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, 
the doom of sinners, the happiness of believers. It, its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are unchangeable. This is my Bible and God's Word. I want you to look at your neighbor. And I want you to keep holding it up. You're exercising. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, neighbor, read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. For it contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It is a traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff. The pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and a Christian's character. Now rest for a second. I want you to hold them back up in the air. And I want you to say self, here in this Bible, paradise is restored. Heaven is open. The gates of hell is disclosed. Christ is the grand subject. Our good is its design. And the glory of God is its end. I should feel it in my memory. Rule it in my heart. And allow it to guide my every step. This is my Bible. God's Word. You just held up God's Word. Not some book, but God's Word. I pray that, that the testimony of Forest Baptist Church, that the men at Forest Baptist Church will have a testimony of Apollos, which says, the Bible says that Apollos, that he was well versed in his word, that he cherished his word, that he, he was a man that, that knew his word. I, I pray that the women of Forest Baptist Church will have the testimony of Aquila. Aquila was a, a mighty woman of God who knew her word and who helped disciple the people of God. I pray that the testimony of Forest Baptist Church, that the young men at Forest Baptist Church will, will value the word of God like Josiah, King Josiah, who brought reform to Israel because he valued the law of Moses and that the young women would, would value their Bibles and value the word of God like Ruth, who told Naomi, I won't go anywhere because I, I I know what God's people are called to do. Don't rush over God's word. When you come to texts that say greater love is this than a man who would lay down his life for his friends. Don't, don't rush over it. 
pause and read God's word. Think about what it says. Think about that there is no greater love than, than the love that a, 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 a friend has for another friend that he will lay down his life for them. Don't, don't rush over that. Think about it. Take God's word and, and meditate on it. Think about your relationships and, and your friendships and, and think about whether or not you will lay down your life for your friends. And then think about God, how God, this majestic God who is in heaven, who is surrounded by lightning and thunder and, and angels and, and choruses and, and, and creatures who all are, are worshiping him, how he allowed his son to come and die for people who were his enemies and yet he called them his friends. Don't rush over scripture when you read it. When you come across texts that say, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Don't just rush over that. Think about what that means. Think about what a lamb was and how a lamb was murdered. And think about how Christ was murdered for you. When you come across texts that say that, that we are like sheep headed towards the slaughter, don't just rush and read over it. Think about what it means to, to, to be a sheep and to be headed towards the slaughter. The Bible says all day long. And think about what it means to be a Christian, how we are called to suffer for the, the sake of Christ. When you pick up your Bible, don't just pick it up to read it and just to be done with it. But pick it up and know that God is still speaking today. You and I, we cannot become godly if we do not value God above everything and his word. The word of God should be the most important thing in your life. We should seek to hear the word of God preached on a regular, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesdays. We, we should be seeking opportunities to hear the word of God as much as we can. Seeking opportunities to read the word of God as much as we can. Seeking opportunities to, to memorize his word and to store it in our heart because it is his words. You can go to his word and hear him speak. I once was a college student at Duke University. And he was a freshman, and right before his left, his, he left, his parents gave him a Bible. His parents said, I want you to read your Bible, because in it is everything you need. And he went off to school, and he called home. He said, Mom, Dad, I, I need some money. And they said, well, son, did you read your Bible? And he said, yeah, I read my Bible. They said, well, go read it again. He called again a couple weeks later. He said, you still haven't sent me my Bible. You still haven't sent me any, any money. He said, well, have you read your Bible? He said, yeah, I read it, but I still need money. And he called again. He said, Mom, listen, I really need some money. She said, well, have you read your Bible? He said, yes, I read my Bible. She said, son, I know you didn't read your Bible. Because in your Bible, me and your father, we place $10 and $20 and $50 in between the pages. We placed money in between the pages. So every time you read, you would have found some money there. We put your semester wages in your Bible. Now, I'm not telling you to go home and read it. Now, y'all going to go home and read it? Be looking for money to fall out? $10, $50, go buy a new Bible? 
They must didn't put it in this Bible. <laughs> There's extreme value in the Word of God. Extreme value in the Word of God. We are over our time. I'm just going to give you these three so that we can stay with schedule really quick. I want you to go home, and I want you to read it. Amen. And don't just say you read it just, just to read it, but really read it. Second thing that Paul tells Timothy to do is found in verse 14, which says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Paul tells Timothy, the second thing you need to do to pursue godliness, number one, is to read your word. But number two, he says, do not neglect the gift that you have. Number two, second thing we need to do in pursuing godliness is simply to use our gifts. To use our gifts. To not neglect our gifts. When we are saved, when we become a Christian, God gives each and every one of us spiritual gifts. He gives us a spiritual ability to use for him. Timothy, when he became saved, and, and he received a gift just like you and I received a gift. And the, the gift that God gives is extremely important to us. It's extremely important because if we do not use the gift that God gives, then we become idle. And if we become idle, then we become passive. And if we are passive, we will depart from the faith or we will take hold to another gospel. It is important that every single person in this church that is a born-again believer know that God, when he called you, when he saved you, he gave you a spiritual gift to use for him. And that if you are not using your spiritual gift, then... You are not delighting in God. Jesus, when he left, the Bible says he left gifts towards to men. And this is going to be our last point, and we'll pick up the, next, the, the rest next week. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 says these words. At salvation, all believers... It, I'm sorry, it says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. If prophecy in portion to our faith, if service in our servant, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God has given every single person a spiritual gift here. And Paul lays out a list of these gifts. We also see this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 through, through 13. We see these gifts being laid out when God saved you, when the Holy Spirit made his abode in your heart. God gave you a spiritual gift, a gift that is from the Holy Spirit that is to be used in the context of the church in order that the church will do the mission of God. Some is preaching. Some is teaching. 
God has given some people uh, the gift of teaching. Others, the gift of preaching. Some, it's, it's the, the, the gift of administration. Some, it's, it's cheerfulness. Some, it's, it's serving. Some, have a gift of mercy. In other words, have a, a heart that is just broken for people all the time. Paul is telling Timothy to stir up the gift. Use the gift. What, what I have given you, use it. Use it constantly. Do not neglect it. The reason why many people are in the body of Christ are unsatisfied and who are not, are not actively uh, uh, pursuing godliness and not really seeing the power of God is because we are not using our gifts. We are, are okay with becoming pew members. We're okay with just sitting in our chairs every week and listening to someone else tell us what to do. We're okay We've just come to Sunday school, just come to Bible study. But, but there is power in being busy for Christ. Every single person has a spiritual gift. And the reason why some people don't use their spiritual gift is because they are afraid, because of fear. They're afraid to be radical for God. They're afraid to be used by God. They look at themselves and say, well, I don't, can't do this. I can't do this. I don't have this. I don't have that. So Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, chapter two, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he said, For this reason I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands, for God gave us not the spirit of fear. But power and love and a sound mind. Paul told Timothy in his second letter to him, he says, listen, Timothy, stop being timid. Stop being afraid and use what I have given you. I had a friend who was one of the best summertime basketball players I have ever seen. Did y'all catch that? Did y'all catch that? Amen. Choir call. I had a friend who was the best summertime basketball player I had ever seen. Man, we would work out together and, and play ball in the summer. We were just competitive, you know. We were out there sweating and, and getting our game together. And I always said, man, this guy, he's one of the best summertime players I've ever seen. He had a gift. But something would happen when basketball season came around. That same guy who was out there crossing over everybody, five foot nine, dunking, I mean, he was just awesome. That same guy, when it came time for the season to come around, when it came to tryouts, he would get out there and completely choke. The guy that I had watched all summer long crossed me over. When we was trying out in front of the coach, act like he could barely dribble. I used to get so upset at him, man, like, go to the hole, dunk the ball, telling everybody he can dunk, he got ups, and he would just choke. Other guys who played against him in the summer was just baffled. they like, this guy is one of the best ball players we ever seen in the summertime, but come winter, he acts like he can't play. And I'll never forget, he tried out three consecutive years, got cut each year, and I'll never forget, 
I was in his room and I was sitting there and we were watching TV and he had tears in his eyes. He says, I just, I, I, I just hate that. I, I went through high school. I never made the team. Why didn't I make the team? Why did the coaches always overlook me? I looked at him and I said, said his name. I said, listen, man, when you got in front of the coaches, you didn't use what you had. I said, you expected the coaches to cheer and to put you on the team when you did not operate in your gift. You didn't use what you had because of fear. Because of fear. And I think that in a body of Christ, we have a lot of people who are not operating in the function that God has called them to operate because they, they are afraid to go there. God has gifted you with a gift of administration. God has gifted you with a, a gift of encouragement. God has gifted you with a gift of mercy. God has gifted you with a voice. God has gifted you with computer uh, uh, design. He's given, given you all these gifts to be used, but, you, but you're not using it for him. And one day we will all stand before God, just like the, the parable of the talents, and God will look at us and say, did you use what I gave you, or did you bury it? Did you use the gift that, gifts that I gave you for my glory, or did you bury it? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us Love, power, and a, and a sound mind. The church of Christ can use your gifts. I'm not going to say needs your gifts, but I'm going to say can use your gifts. Because I think that as Christians, we think that God needs us too much. God does not need me. I could pass the moment I step off this pulpit. God's plan would not be thwarted. God's plan would not be stopped. God does not need me. Now, God can use me, but he doesn't need me. God does not need you, but he, he wants to use you. And the funny thing about that is that it does you more good than it does him. Because if he's not using you, then you're being used by someone else. If we are not occupied with God, it is because we are occupied with something else. We must pursue godliness. We must pursue godliness. If we are not pursuing godliness, then we are slowly departing from the faith. Do you catch that? I didn't come to hoop today, amen. But I, I think that as we go into this new year, we have to understand that. That if we are not actively pursuing God, if we are not chasing God, then it's because we are chasing something else. And if we are chasing something else, then we are serving two gods. If we are serving two gods, then we are not serving God at all.
the hope for us. The hope for us is that it, there's two persons that's working on us as we pursue God. There's, there's two, two people that's involved. Not one, but there's two. Of course, the, the first is, is you and I. We are involved in our own pursuit of godliness. But there's another person that's involved, and that is the Holy Spirit. You're saying, I, I have, I'm doing my best. I'm pursuing God. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But you, you've got to know that it's not just you. It's being hooked up and linked to the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. As Paul used another phrase, work out. Salvation is a workout. Being a Christian is a workout. It is an active pursuit. It's something that we do by, by reading God's word, by actively and, and, and constantly using our gifts. It's us working out. It says do it in fear, in reverence, and, and do it with trembling. But there's encouragement. Because right after that, Paul lets us know that it's not just us working out. It says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God gives us the strength to pursue him. God gives us the power to pursue him through the Holy Spirit. So while you are pursuing godliness, reading your word, fasting and praying. It is God who's going to continue to enable you and to give you the strength that you need to pursue him. In the church, this is an idea that we, I believe that we have, have lost in that we pursue God in our own strength. In our own strength. We forget that we have been given a, a treasure, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person, not, not just a power. He's a person. We have been given a person. There's a, a person on the inside of us which gives us the desire to do, the desire to fear God. We have to depend on the Holy Spirit. And the only way we will know the Holy Spirit and, and the only way we will be connected to the Holy Spirit is if we're connected to God's word. The Holy Spirit is stirred up by the word of God. The Holy Spirit is stirred up through prayer. The Holy Spirit is stirred up through, through fasting. The Holy Spirit is stirred up through fellowship. The Holy Spirit is, is stirred up through us exercising. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 27, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. So a whole bunch of people was rushing after him because he had just fed 5,000. He tells the crowd, you're not following me because you actually love me. You're following me because you want something from me. Isn't that interesting? We all have heard the story about the congregation who was gathered together and about a person who ran into the congregation, into, into a church, and he uh, 
had a gun and he said, listen, anybody who does not love Jesus will get to live. You can leave now. A lot of people, they rushed up to their feet and they hit the exit door. They said, if you're not willing to live for Christ, leave now. If you're not willing to die for him, leave right now. And many people got up and they ran out the door. Right after they they left, the pastor looked at the the man. He said, thank you. He looked at the congregation. He said, now we can really have church. (laughs) Many people follow God not because of Christ if they love him, but because they want something from him. What could make a man say, follow me, and then other men just drop everything and follow him? What could make people give up their careers? What could make people be willing to die? What could make Peter be willing to be crucified upside down and Paul be willing to to be stoned? What what made people follow Christ, the the disciples truly follow Christ, was the fact that they saw something in Christ that was was worth far more than their occupation, than their families, than their possessions. They saw something in Christ that they saw in no other person. And if we are truly going to be followers of Jesus Christ and and walk in godliness, then we have to see Christ as our great reward. Jesus went on in verse 27. He said, do not labor for food that perishes for the food that endures to eternal life. Do not labor. He's saying that that there will be laboring, but don't labor for that which perishes. He's saying, but labor for that which gives eternal life. So pursuing godliness is our responsibility. It's what we must do is labor. It's work. But listen to how he follows up. Which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus says, listen, labor for the food that brings about eternal life. But then he says, for the Son of Man will give it to you. So while we are laboring for godliness, it is God who has given it to us. While we are chasing God and his pursuit of of happiness and delight in God, it is really God who has given it to us the whole time. So while we are working, God is working with us. God is working on us. While you are trying to mortify the flesh and put to death the deeds of the flesh, God is giving you the power to mortify the flesh and to put to death the deeds of the flesh. While you are working to put to death pornography. God is working with you to put it to death. Fornication. God is working with you to put it to death. Lying. God is working with you to put it to death. It is not something that you do by yourself in and of yourself. It is something that you and I, that we are able to do through the Holy Spirit. 
But the Holy Spirit will only be stirred up if we value the Word of God and if we use what God has given us for the glory of God. This year, as we start the new year, we have to make up our mind as a church that is not business as usual. You have to make up your mind as a Christian that is not Christianity as usual. God is calling all of us, all of us this year, to live radically for him, which means biblically. As members of Forest Baptist Church, we are going on a journey together that is going to challenge our cultural walk. And it's not something that is strange or not even something that, that should, be, should be different. It's something that should be biblically. God has called us to forsake everything for the purpose of the gospel in order that we might reach our community and reach the world. Would you stand to your feet as we get ready to, to dismiss? We, we must Pursue the God of Scripture, not the God of culture. Amen. God of culture tells us that we have to sing a song right now, and I have to do an invitation. <laughs> and we have to hold hands, and we have to say certain words. God of Scripture tells us that we need to pursue him and to love him, to seek godliness. God, God of culture tells us that this has to happen, this, this has to happen. We, we have to seek God, not culture. We have to seek God in Train up yourself to godliness. Exercise yourself into godliness. Make that your main pursuit. We're going to say a quick word of prayer, and I want you to keep your hands, uh, remain, uh, hold your neighbor's hand, and keep your hands in your neighbor's hands after we pray. And I'm going to have a, a quick announcement, and we'll be dismissed for, for this morning. Amen. Father God, I just thank you, Lord for your word. I pray, Father, that you will continue to sanctify us as a people, that your Holy Spirit, Father God, will, will purge us and cleanse us, that your word, Father God, will be our delight. I pray, Father God, that we will learn to walk by the Spirit, that we will not seek to live lives of comfort, lives of pleasure. Father, that we will seek to live.